This message first aired on the radio on July 3rd, 2003. The Word of God has an interesting quality about it, according to itself. As John the Apostle wrote when he received the Word of God uh, from God, that it was it was sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his stomach. And indeed, that's what we discover about the Word of God. It's uh, sweet in the mouth. It tastes good. It is able to make one wise. It lightens our eyes. It's a uh, lamp to our feet and light to our path. And as the Scripture says, but once digested and meditated upon, we can find the very severe problems, and it can be a, a very great discomfort, both as we understand the truth about ourselves and as we understand the enmity that's against God's Word that's in the world. I want to remind you that those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ are of God, and everything else, the whole world system, lies in the evil one. And that's that's a very difficult uh, thing to understand That's a, or to accept. It might be easier to understand than accept. But as we look at our uh, independence as a nation, and many nations have uh, independence as we look more and more at our nation and, and even other nations, we see that as more and more gain days of independence to to remember and to uh, to relax in, there seems to be less and less independence in the world. In fact, we discover that our dependence on many nations seems to be growing more and more. And I'm not without reflection on, on uh, uh, the matter, and I have determined to take up a little bit about the subject of the nations, uh, how God has ordered the nations on the earth. As a heavenly people, Christians have citizenship in heaven, have heavenly citizenship. There are those here on earth who carry dual citizenships. A Christian today carries dual citizenship. He has He's a citizen of whatever nation he's in, and he's a citizen of heaven. And our fellowship one with another really has to do with our heavenly citizenship. So I'm I'm as glad as, as I suppose I'm as glad as any to be an American, but I'm I'm more glad that I have citizenship in heaven. And I discover as I travel uh, into other countries, and I've done a little of that, that uh, I have a commonality and a fellowship instantly with those who have received Christ as their Savior. And I also find in every place, as I look at governments, and I've had some interesting uh, involvements with our government, it was brought to my attention again out of the Scriptures that the world has a lot of problems while Israel is out of place. And so we want to talk a little bit uh, today and again tomorrow about the condition of the, of the Gentile world, the state that the world is in, and why it's in that state, we can find that, and I, I want to use as a point of departure for that study, a chapter out of the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Now, I realize that the book of Deuteronomy is, a, is not a very well-read book. It's not a very frequently read book. It's not a well-studied book by most of God's people, or even those who, certainly those who aren't God's people. And it's a difficult book in many ways, but it, it was it was written as a repetition. The book of Deuteronomy, the word De Deuter Deuteronomy means a repetition of the law and the, or the, of the of the word. It is a it is a repetition of to make an emphasis upon certain things. And in in that book, and in, in this book, we're going to be looking at the thirty second chapter. 
In this book, we find some summary, not, uh, not only of the history of Israel from our perspective today, but also of the future of Israel, and really some of the fundamental problems that are in the world. I find it interesting, for example, again, at the forefront of thinking around the world, much of the thinking of the world today, it's called the problem of the Middle East, or peace in the Middle East. And it's uh, one of the biggest problems about peace in the Middle East is that the Gentile nations, that the nations of the world are trying to solve it. Uh, What a turnaround that is. As God's uh, firstborn nation, the nation of Israel, the real Israel is scattered abroad in every nation. It's hidden in the world. The artificial Israel, the one that is not the Israel of God, the man-made Israel, is over there in part of the territory that God has promised to Abraham, a very small part, I should say. And boy, do we have a mess. As I think about the book of Jonah, I think of how it is that the ship that Jonah was in, the Gentile ship that he was in on his way to Tarshish, had nothing but trouble. The sea was against everybody. That is a picture of the Gentile nations against everybody, including themselves, because Jonah was disobedient to God and was not conducting himself according to the word of the Lord. And they just threw him over, they threw him into the sea in order to have peace while upon the sea. And Jonah was delivered into the land to do what it was God told him to do. So we have some picture of the real big problem of the world. And the, the problem of the world, it could be summarized like this. Israel's the big problem in the world. Israel is not doing what God intended it to do. And why is that? Well, we find that here in Deuteronomy uh, 32. And I trust you'll listen carefully because there are some things difficult to be understood in this, uh, in these sections of, of Scripture. And there we are talking about a subject that is highly inflammatory among men. So let's keep that in mind as we proceed. We'll try to proceed carefully through Deuteronomy 32. Just make a few observations, and we'll we'll make a few more uh, also tomorrow, and try to get our hands around the biblical problem, not to titillate our minds or to solve the world's problems, because we really we have a solution for the world's problems, and that is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we don't have any alternatives to that. Let's just look at that, and we'll begin, I'll actually begin with the last verse of the 31st chapter of Deuteronomy, and I'm going to read for a little bit here. Deuteronomy 31, verse 30, And Moses spake in the ears of all the congregation of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect, and all his ways are judgment. A God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. They have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They are a perverse and crooked generation. Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that has bought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee, thy elders, and they will tell thee. 
when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, and in the waste howling wilderness he led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, that he might eat the increase of the fields. He made him to suck honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock, butter of kine and milk of sheep, with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats, with the fat of kidneys of wheat, thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations provoke they him to anger. They sacrificed unto demons, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them, because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them, I will see what their end shall be, for they are a froward generation, children in whom is no faith. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains." I will heap mischiefs upon them. I will spend mine arrows upon them. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust. The sword without and terror within shall destroy both young man and the virgin, the suckling also with the man of gray hairs. I said I would scatter them into the corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they should say, Our hand is high, and the Lord has not done all this. For they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except their rock had sold them, and the Lord had shut them up? For their rock is not as our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is the vine of Sodom, and the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall, their clusters are bitter, their wine is the poison of dragons, and the cruel venom of asps. Now there's a lot more to talk about, and we'll take it up in another time as well. Uh, in, in fact, some of it tomorrow. But this wonderful passage of Scripture which reads with both blessing and horror, is about the nation of Israel. And it is the future 
at the time written, it is the complete future of Israel. At the time we look at it, it is both the history and the present of the nation of Israel. And we find in God's enormous plan for the nation of Israel that he has done exactly what Moses said he would do. And uh, there's a, there are a lot of things here that um, need to be tied together, so let's look at them. First of all, Moses speaking this wonderful song, uh, known as the Song of Moses. This is his uh, wonderful uh, prophetic teaching concerning the future of the nation of Israel. It talks about how the Word of God is so pleasant. It says, Give here, O heavens, I'll speak, O earth, the words of my mouth. Shall drop as the rain, my speech is the dew, small rain of the tender herb. Let me tell you that though the Word of God has to it criticism, though the Word of God can speak very ill concerning you and poorly concerning you, God intends blessing. You know, when God criticizes, God criticizes in truth. Man has decided that he would become a critic, and man has decided that somehow, and we're taught this, by the way, uh, that we're supposed to be the critics and not to be crit- and not to be those criticized. And so, if you go to college, for example, you learn to be a critic. But the word of God in the book of Hebrews is said to be a critic, and what it does is it criticizes us. The word of God takes apart uh, that which is spiritual from that which arises from the natural mind. We have a lot of confusion today. When I I talk to my peers, I talk to uh, young people, I talk to older people, there is a lot of confusion today about what is out of me and what what actually am I am I made of and, and what's coming to me and what's just arising from me. And there's so much confusion about that because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. It is only the Bible, the critic that God designed, that can take this problem apart and point out to us that which is spiritual and that which is not. And so when we hear the Word of God, we read the Word of God, it begins to criticize us. And of course, here there's a criticism of the nation of Israel by Moses, uh, the word, uh, uh, speaking God's word. And he points out that they have one huge advantage over all other peoples, and that is that they have a great God. They have a great God who took them out of, out of Egypt. They have a great God whose work is perfect. And they are able to see from the perspective of their great God that all those around them are corrupted and away from that God. And and then here's one of the focal points that this song calls us to that I want to lay out. It says in verse 7, Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask their father, he will show thee. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people, or all the peoples, according to the number of the children of Israel. Now, this is a a marvelous thought, and it's a fascinating picture of history. I think if uh, we paid better attention to this, uh, we could understand our environment, we could understand our problems much better nationally, locally, however we want to look at it. God's plan with the people, with the nations, has always been according to his plan for the nation of Israel. When he divided the nations, their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the nations according to the numbers of the children of Israel. Now, the children of Israel, when when God did that, the children of Israel weren't even born. When God did that, there was no nation of Israel. 
when God set the boundaries of the nations, he did it right after the flood. There was a flood that destroyed all the people except eight, and then those eight, Noah, his three sons, their wives, those eight came through the flood, and God set up the earth uh, and its organization, and he set up the nations. God invented the nations at that time. Up to that time, there was no nation. The creator of nations is God. Uh, I, I heard an interesting discussion today just a little bit ago about how our nation formed. Did it form legally? Did it not? The one who forms the nations or who forms the peoples is God Almighty. He has a plan, and, it, and, he, and he plans the nations around the number of the children of Israel. He plans all the nations around his firstborn son, the nation of Israel. That is a plan. It is not for men to plan out the nations. It is not for men to destroy the nations. Nations are God's invention, and, and, and it's the nation state is God's invention so that he could live up to his end of the Noahic covenant, which was what? He promised he would never destroy the earth again like he did by water in the flood, that he would never have to put an end to all life except for just a few. Now, in order for God to do that, he had to stop the cause of the flood. The cause of the flood wasn't water. The cause of the flood was the great wickedness of man. And so God set up boundaries according to his plan for Israel, uh, for, for the nations. He set up, he set up uh, difficulties. He, he stuck them in their places, and he kept them away from each other. We're looking at Deuteronomy 32, and we found in it that God numbered the nation, or the, set the boundaries of the nations, according to the number of the children of Israel. And he did this when he divided to the nations their inheritance. Well, this is after he created the heavens and the earth that he did this thing. Uh, he did this, of course, before the nations amassed to what they are. And God not only set the boundaries of the peoples, all right, and I'll tell you how he did it in just a second, but he also set the history forward of the nations and the, according to the history of the nation of Israel. I find it interesting that we're spending in, in the last many years that Christians have uh, spent a good deal of discussion trying to persuade people that God uh, is the creator of the heavens and the earth and that he created man. Really, that is something that God gives to us. We don't have to, we don't have to demonstrate that. God gives that knowledge to every man something we don't really have to take up and talk about. You know, whoever you are that are listening, you know it's evident to you, it is self-evident to you that God created things. You know his power and Godhead according to the creation that you observe. You're sucking his air while you're thinking uh, he's keeping your heart beating. Uh, you know his power and his Godhead. Uh, and I really don't care to get into any discussions with people about whether or not God created the heavens and the earth. But unhappily, as we do take up that discussion, which all men already know about, we avoid the discussion of God outlining all the time of history for the nations and for Israel. And when I say the nations, of course, just ta even talking about nations, there's controversy about uh, the insertion in the Pledge of Allegiance in the 50s sometime, as I understand it, we began to say, I, it's, the, it's, the, it's the Pledge of Allegiance I said every day in school, one nation under God. 
Well, we may say that. I mean, it may be in the pledge. It may have gotten into the pledge. But the fact is, we are not one nation under God. We're one of the nations. And uh, maybe once upon a time, a larger percentage of the people of the United States regarded themselves as a nation under God. Uh, I, I know, I mean, I do believe that we are a nation under God, as all the nations are under God. But when we say one nation under God, really, I think of Israel when it's in its right place. Of course, today, it's not one nation under God either. And that's the problem, is that the nations aren't under God. The problem today, the major problem in world affairs today, is not only is there not one nation under God, there's no nation under God, and the nations are moving to the point of view that we will not have this man to rule over us. Now, the nations are in rebellion against God. But that's not new. The nations have always been in rebellion against God. And when the nations rebelled against God, God went about his plan anyway. And behind all of this, of course, are the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places who get an inkling and a knowledge of what God is planning to do. You see, in human history, God never planned that man would have uh, some kind of perfect state of being wherein would be uh, no offense whatsoever. God created man with a full knowledge and understanding and with the view to the already to demonstrate in the heavenly places his great wisdom and glory. In the heavenly places, there had already been a rebellion against God led by Satan. And this is where I have such a a real problem with my friends who ignore uh, the time frames that the Scripture give us, or who ignore the fact of Scripture that Satan fell before men, and that God created the heavens and the earth and all men that are in them and raised up the nation of Israel, all in the context of a heavens in rebellion against himself. So that that's God's plan, and the spiritual forces of wickedness understood that that was his plan. And so when God determined to spread the nations out and divide their inheritance out according to the number of the children of Israel, which only he knows what that number is, of course there was spiritual opposition to that, and it fomented man's rebellion against that. Now why is it that God separated the sons of Adam and set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel? Because in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 32 it says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. And so God has a special love for Israel, and he is going to demonstrate that special love for his people Israel, but he'll do it in his own time frame, and he'll do it just as soon as all of Israel believes in him. He is the one who superintends this process. So when the nations, under the rebellion of Nimrod, a descendant of Ham, when when Nimrod organized a rebellion against God by establishing his own kingdom, by setting up a kingdom on earth, as opposed to going along with God's plan where he was the king of the whole earth, he set up his kingdom in the land of Shinar. And there we had the Tower of Babel. And God had to intervene, and he had to, he had to give us different languages so that men couldn't understand one another. And there they left off their getting together. So God is the one who stopped the unification movement of the entire earth. God's opposed to it. God has his plan, 
to rule over the earth personally in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ through a believing nation of Israel and man's plan to set up man's idea of a kingdom in the face of God is really a reflection of Satan's plan to set up his kingdom on earth in opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has frustrated Satan's plan and therefore man's plan. And he frustrates them with this nation of Israel. So as men began to rebel and and use force, and the first one to do that was Nimrod. He was um, he was a conqueror, and he overran his borders, the borders that God had given those people. Nimrod overran them, and he he went forth. The Bible says he went forth Asher. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, or in the face of the Lord. And Nimrod began to be a hunter of men. Men have always turned to the force of the sword to enforce their own ways. When men take up, uh, when men take up arms to invade other countries, as opposed, by the way, to defending themselves, uh, they do overrun their, their borders. This is just part of the enmity that is in man against God. You say, well, then we should have certain policies or certain laws. Policies and laws have never changed man. What the Bible teaches is not that we need certain policies or laws or whatever. What the Bible teaches is we need a new man. We've got a problem with this man that we have. So it's interesting to watch. I'm not unaffected by it, but it is interesting to watch as men go about trying to establish peace, trying to establish an order whereby there won't be the overflowing of borders, there won't be the wars that take place. And I I did a little study on that, and it's interesting. There have been, counting local wars, since World War I, there have been nearly 200 wars, nearly 200 wars, all the time, men trying to overflow their borders, trying to assert themselves into their own premises, into the premises that they desire. And here the Bible has the simple answer, whence come wars and fightings among you? They don't come from a lack of uh, properly armed police, although I'm happy to see the policemen armed. Uh, They don't come from uh, not having sufficient military, although if we need a military, I'm glad to have a good one that comes from the lusts of the flesh that are in man. That there is need for a new man is totally obvious. So God has set this plan in place to demonstrate to us the truth about himself, and he has said that Israel is the nation that he found in a desert land. He said he found him in a desert land in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. That phrase, That phrase, apple of his eye, is the pupil of his eye. It's a figure of speech, but it's the pupil of his eye. You know, when when you're physically threatened, you'll surrender any body part for your eyes. When something is thrown at you by surprise, immediately you raise your arms and your hand, you turn your head, you'll sacrifice your arm, your hand, the side of your head, you'll sacrifice your ear, for example, to protect your eye we're built in, of course, we're built in the image of God, and we'll sacrifice any body part to protect our eyes. Any body part that can get there, we'll put there in the place, sacrificing it to keep our eyes. This is how God looks at Israel. God looks at Israel as his own son, and he keeps Israel like he would keep the pupil of his eye. 
But because Israel is God's firstborn son, and because God is God and he's good and he's a, he's a, dem, a, a demonstrable father of great character, then he both keeps his firstborn son and he instructs his firstborn son and he leads his firstborn son and he disciplines his firstborn son. And this is something that we can observe. So in verse 12 of Deuteronomy 32, it says, So the Lord alone did lead him. There was no strange God with him. He made him to ride on the high places of the earth that he might eat of the increase of the fields. He made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. And, and so God, God treated Israel as his firstborn son, and he loved him like he loves a son, like a father loves a son. And there's, there's the love of a father to, the son is, to, to a son is an incomparable love. It's a deep love. It's a singular love. I don't say it's a greater love than any other kind of love, but it is a unique love, the love of a father to a son. And it, it is at once a hopeful, protecting love. It is a leading love, and it is a disciplining love. And you, you can, when you see a father with his son, you see that tender love and that tender care. But when you see a son rebel against a father, you see that father answer him swiftly with the disciplining severity that such rebellion requires. And so we see now in verse 15, but Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Interesting word here, Jeshurun. This is the word, the upright one speaking of Israel. This is the true Israel. This is the Israel of God. Uh, this is the Israel as in an ideal form, we might say. Uh, Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. And then God addresses directly, because at the time of the writing of the book of Deuteronomy, Israel was already waxing fat and kicking. In fact, Israel started getting fat and kicking the moment that God began speaking to Israel. You remember the account? Moses went up into the mountain. He First of all, God came down to the mountain, and the mountain began to burn, and uh, it smoked. And the sound of a trumpet was a long, winding sound of the trumpet. And if anyone came near to the mountain, whether man or beast, it would die instantly. And the children of Israel said they couldn't stand to hear this word from God. Moses, you go, you talk to him. Moses went up to receive the law from God, and no sooner was he up into the, up into the mountain, and Aaron, uh, along with the children of Israel, went into an apostasy. That is to say, they went away from faith in God, and they went immediately to the idolatry of the Egyptians. And they created a golden calf. Aaron engraved it with an engraving tool, and he said, These be thy gods, O children of Israel. And that's what it says they did here in Deuteronomy 32. Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat. Now it says thou art, because, of course, he's speaking to that very people who did that very thing. Thou art waxen fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. And that's a true thing. Israel immediately rejected and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation, and he forsook God and went into idolatry. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. And not only did he do that, but with abominations, the Gentile abominations, they provoked God to anger in the wilderness. 
they sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. And now we see that, in fact, Israel was selected out by God from Egypt in order to be the only people that had the true God, while all the nations had demons behind them. That's the state of our nation. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you aren't, if you aren't worshiping God uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, you are following after demons. Uh, you may not know it. We know this from the Scripture. Well, that's the only alternative that there is to God. The, the state of man was such that men only thought evil continually. The demons had their way with man totally. God had to bring a flood, and he set up this arrangement this arrangement of the nation of Israel, so that he would have some people, somebody, who knew the truth from God. And it was their role to be separated from the Gentile nations, to be different than the Gentile nations, in order that they would qualify and be capable of bringing the word of God to the Gentile nations. Well, so what happened? They turned away. Of course, the spiritual enemies of God attacking Israel and trying to turn them to demons. They succeeded to a large part, and they sacrificed to demons, to gods whom they knew not. And the rock that begat thee, they became unmindful, and they forgot the God that formed thee. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and daughters. And he said, I'll hide my face from them, and I will see what their end shall be. For they are froward generation, children of whom is no what? No faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without faith, it's impossible to know God. And what Israel did was turned away from faith in the rock that begat them. And like a father who is moved to discipline his son, the, the Bible says, they move me to jealousy with that which is not God. They provoke me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those who are not a people. And so this is God's reaction to Israel's defection. Israel defected from God. Oh, they did it in the wilderness. They did it for generations. They, they did it leading all the way to the captivity. And God determined, here's what I'll do. I'll move them to jealousy with those who are not a people. And so God has to make Israel, God has decided to provoke Israel to anger and to jealousy with a people who were not a people. Well, we're looking at Deuteronomy 32. We're trying to learn a little bit more about God's plan for Israel. We're trying to understand who is one nation under God. We're trying to find out what it really means to be free and independent. That's what we're doing. We'll take that up some more tomorrow. We're talking about how God has decided to discipline Israel, and he's going to move them to two things, anger and jealousy. Now, he's going to afflict Israel. That's what he's going to do. He's going to bring affliction. And that's what a father's discipline of a son is. When a father disciplines a son, he afflicts him. When you discipline your son, and I hope that if you're a child of God today, I hope you understand that the Scripture will teach you to do that very thing so that you'll do, that's the only way you can have a good conscience as a father is to chasten your son betimes is the King James Version but frequently it's a controversial thing today to chasten your children 
but uh, you don't chasten them with candy, and you don't chasten them with privileges, and you don't chasten them with talk. You chasten them with affliction, and uh, you afflict their bottoms. That's a good thing to do. The, the rod brings good affliction, and the Bible teaches it. Well, that's another message on another day, but that's what God did with Israel. When Israel, his firstborn son, kicked against him, he determined to bring two qualities, two uh, emotions, we might even say, to the children of Israel, jealousy and anger. And how will he do it? He says, I will move them to jealousy with those who are not a people, with, with some people who are not a people. I'll move them to jealousy with a no people. We might even put it this way, with a no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Well, I don't know if I like the characterization there, foolish nation, but who are the people that are no people? Christians are are the people who are no people. We're not in a nation, okay? We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation in heaven. That's our heavenly aspect. But here below, Christians are no nation. There's no Christian nation on earth. There never has been. There never will be a Christian nation. It just, there, it, 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 in fact, in order for Christians to be Christians, they end up being a no people. They're in the world. They're not of the world. They're out of the nations. They're out of also the nation Israel, as Israel is numbered today. Uh, the reason that the prophecies concerning Israel are in abeyance today is that Israel today is being numbered with the nations. I mean, it's, you know, not, not, it's part of the United Nations so forth. Uh, Israel's not supposed to be numbered with the nations. Israel's supposed to be totally separate with the nations. For, for the nations to say, for, for Israel to want the nations to agree that there are nations, uh, Israel shouldn't care if the nations agree if there are nations. The Israel of God won't need to care. God will appoint it as the chief nation, and the rest of the nations go along with it, or God will spank them with a rod of iron. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to come personally to do that. But here, we're in the day now where Israel provoked God, and so God's busy provoking Israel to jealousy and to anger with a foolish guy like me. Well, I enjoy that. I, I, I enjoy the, the, the purpose that God has given to me. If my, if my purpose or if the pers- purpose of a Christian, at least in part, is to provoke a Jew to jealousy because we have the Word of God and you don't, then that's what we do. And if, if you're angry about that, then we, then we say, well, uh, that's what God wants you to get angry about that. It shouldn't be this way, but it is this way. You're supposed to get angry. You say you're, if you get jealous about that, say, well, I mean, who are you? You know, reading an English translation of the Hebrew Bible, who are you to tell me what the Song of Moses said? Moses is my kinsman. I say, well, I, I'm, I'm part of this no people who's provoking you, who's trying to uh, stimulate you to, the, to be jealous. And why are you jealous? You're jealous because, because I uh, have God as my father, and, and you don't, and, and you should. And, of course, that's the problem. So that's what God decided. And this, look, this is, not my, this is not my idea. This is God's idea. So what, a, what, an interesting, what an interesting way God behaves. And then he's, now he's also angry, and in his anger, what does he say he'll do? He'll burn a fire against Israel. He took Israel out of the world in order to set it in the high places and to make it the chief nation, and they instead turned and worshiped demons and go for everything except 
the Lord, the ultimate consummate proof. They reject a rock that led them out, and that rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. The uh, stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. And only when that truth is acknowledged by the nation of Israel will they be able to say, as Psalm 118.24 says, this is the day which the Lord has made. We'll, be, we'll rejoice and be glad in it. Well, that's the day, or the seventh day, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. In the meantime, Israel's not going to rejoice and be glad in it, but they're going to be scattered around into the corners of the earth, and their remembrance will, be, uh, will cease from among men. And it's true. I mean, people don't, uh, the nations don't talk about Israel the way they once did, where God had the fear of them everywhere, where uh, the Philistine, uh, the Amorite nations, including the the uh, the Philistines, uh, the uh, Hittites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and as Dr. J. Vernon McGee says, the electric lights, as all of these feared Israel and, and, and the, the God had put the fear and the dread of them, that's not the case anymore. People don't even remember. Uh, in fact, people deny. Uh, the nations d- not only don't remember, but just deny completely that God took Israel out of Egypt with miracles and a high hand. And they say, well, uh, uh, they, they, there was no miracles. There's no such thing. That's a nice story. Maybe Moses, uh, maybe Moses wasn't even a real guy. Maybe there were two Isaiahs, other crazy things. Uh, people don't even remember uh, the nation of Israel. And God has done this. He has scattered Israel, hid them in the world. He said, I would scatter them into the corners. I'll make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. Now, there's one thing that stops God from going any further. And, he, of course, this is anthropomorphism. When the nations saw God take up Israel, they feared. They feared Israel, and they feared the God of Israel. When the nations see God disciplining Israel, and that's what we see today, then the nations begin to take God lightly. They don't fear Israel anymore. In fact, what the nations do, and this is what, and this is the trap that God has for the unbelieving nations. You know, God has come out to the nations with the word of God, and God used to wink at the ignorance of the nations. There was a time when God said, well, you're ignorant, and I'm not going to do anything about it. But after the Lord Jesus came, and the word of God went out to the nations, and the apostle Paul went to, to Athens and Mars Hill, he said, Times of this ignorance God winked at, but he's not winking anymore. He's got both eyes open. He's got one eye on Israel. He's got the other eyes on the nations. And he commands the nations to change their mind and to repent and to receive Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior. That This is the nation's opportunity here. But no, that's not what the nations do. They don't want the Lord Jesus Christ to rule over them either. And so what do they do? Well, they see that God has disciplined Israel and they provoke God. In fact, they see God disciplining Israel, and uh, God says, I'm sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. Uh, The heathen got it pretty good. The nations have it pretty good because God's busy disciplining Israel. And they're like a guy who sees a, a man disciplining his son, and they go, well, I see that you're spanking your son. Here, let me go get a stick, and let me beat him too. And they just jump in without any invitation, and and they begin to beat the nation of Israel, and that's what the nations have done. They see that God has brought affliction upon Israel, and they decide they're going to help and 
further the affliction. This you can read about in the book of Zechariah. We just don't have time to go there right now. But uh, they decide we're going to further the affliction of Israel. We'll, we'll just we'll just take a uh, a stick of our own, start beating Israel. Well, God never invited some stranger to discipline his son, and you wouldn't do it either. You don't want some stranger just come along disciplining your son. He doesn't love the son. He doesn't care about the son. He wants to destroy that. He's jealous of that son, and that's what the nations are. They're jealous of the nation Israel, and they're saying, well, while Jehovah has them scattered, we'll just beat the tar out of them. And, of course, that's what the nations have done. They just beat the tar out of Israel. They say, well, God has forsaken his people. Well, he didn't forsake them. He has, he'll never forsake them. He's disciplining them. And when the nations begin to beat Israel, which many nations have done, and which more nations will continue to do, whatever Israel they can identify, they hate and beat and, and murder and try to destroy, at the insistence, by the way, of the demons they follow, God will deal sorely with them. And so God will take them in that hatred. And this is now the plan of God for the whole world. And this is now the day of God for the whole world. God will deal with Israel, and when God is, and God is dealing with Israel, and when God is done disciplining Israel, God will whip up on his enemies, the nations, as they foment their enmity against him and against Israel. And so we now see how God will talk about that in the rest of the Song of Moses there in the book of Deuteronomy. So here's what I want to tell you, my Christian friend. Well, let me just say three things. First of all, my Gentile friend, you're in no less enmity against God than Israel is. Uh, don't you be high-minded toward Israel. I hear a lot of high-mindedness about the Jews coming out of the Gentiles. God has commanded you to repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, just like he commanded Israel. And I have something for, for, for the Jewish people. You know, God has a remnant according to grace. I hope that there's just one such listening today, maybe two such listening today. You realize that in your affliction, God will hear you. God will save you, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, more of this tomorrow.